0: Hi,
1: everyone. Welcome to Tech Talks. Today we have ENTP Enneagram 7s. And so Samantha, would you like to tell us a bit about you?
2: This is like the worst question. I hate this question. Because I have multiple thoughts streaming through my head right now, going, "Oh, which thread should we follow for this particular interview?" And I, lo- I love that about head types is we just, particularly sevens, so many thoughts going in our heads at once. We can—it's just hard to follow which stream is which. So I'm an Enneagram coach. I have lived around the world. I have a humanities background. I used to be a lawyer before I realized that was a terrible idea.
0: There's and- nothing human, humanitarian <laughs> about being a lawyer, by the way. Never well, mind.
2: That's why you can't <laughs> stay in that career. Um, No, there are some lawyers who are far more humanitarian than others. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. You you got them.
0: (laughs) It takes two to make it some. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, so really specializing in personality for personal development,
1: really. Samantha runs the Trudy page for YouTube. She has a really awesome page on Enneagram. Yeah. I, I'm Trudy's lead trainer. I've been doing that
2: for a few years and I just, I love it. It's a lot of fun. But then I also run my own business on the side as well, Individuo, which is using the Enneagram for coaching and other personal development stuff.
0: Are you an Aussie or are you from, from? I got a bit of an Aussie tech there. I am.
2: I'm an Australian, <laughs> okay. but currently living in New Zealand. So you did well. Yeah. That's amazing. And Boris?
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not in the humanities. I have, <laughs> I'm a sociopath. <laughs> I'm a software Excellent. developer. Uh, physics background, then switched into engineering. Um, then self-employed. Anything self-employed is good. Um, slid into MPTI by accident. I thought it was bullshit. Um, I thought it was what the ESFJ lady in charge of HR does to put a label on me and decide whether or not you should hire me. So normally to me, they're the pit bulls I need to get by so I can talk to the guy in charge and they normally hire me. But, um, so I thought it was, if anything, BS. Um, Learned otherwise by Fluke ended up in a meetup that was N-centric and now I'm running that meetup five years later. Um, I find, I mean, this is not about MBTI, but MBTI is very helpful in giving you a vocabulary of understanding self and others and also to build bridges based on that understanding, how to give a person what they need, or at least the illusion of, and (laughs) kind of smoothen the wheels a bit in ENTP fashion, maybe. Um, And I find Enneagram also nicely, it complements MBTI, and there's also correlations, because I think a lot of, let's say, ENTPs, ENFPs, are probably sevens. So just more interesting vocabulary to understand self and other, because physics is almost easy, because it's very predictable even though at the esoteric level it's not whereas people are actually in some in some sense more interesting more challenging Mm -hmm. and more rewarding
2: i've been doing lots of typing interviews lately with and many enfps and if they're sevens it's so obvious it's not funny if they're not sevens it's actually a lot harder to figure out because that is so you know you see that so strongly so you have to dive beneath that it's fascinating
1: Interesting. Interesting. It's going to be a lot of idea bouncing in this video,
0: (laughs) as you already see. And the little girl on the side will be pushed out and she'll be like on the floor and there'll be your hand coming up. Whoops, you can't see it. It's sticking up. Me too. It's my show.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, hi everyone. My name is Joyce and I'm a certified MBTI master practitioner and I facilitate the instrument and organizations. I also coach people and help people figure out their best fit type. And so, cool. Enneagram 7. As Samantha mentioned earlier, they are head types. Their basic fear is the fear of being trapped in emotional pain, being deprived, limited, bored, or missing out on life and missing out on fun. This can manifest in the form of gluttony.
0: We're both slim, what are you talking about, (laughs) gluttony?
1: (laughs) That's taking a lot of work, all right? (laughs) And so, yeah, gluttony is having this sense of emptiness inside you, so you're filling it up with experiences and stimulation and feelings of positivity in hopes of feeling content and satisfied. Now that the basics of the Enneagram 7 have been covered, Samantha, is there anything I missed that
2: you <laughs> kind of want to cover? Well, I mean, that's the challenging thing about the Enneagram is there's the tiny nutshell and then there's the rabbit hole of information that you could go down about each type. And so, I mean, with Sevens, we could talk about how they like to equalize things. They have They've issues with power. Um, and so they want to give lots of people choice, but they want to equalize things. So they treat the CEO and the janitor exactly the same because that makes them feel more comfortable. And what I find fascinating about some of that is we can see that as a strength. Like when I was, you know, working in corporates, I thought, okay, this is a fantastic strength to be able to have friends and a network across the organisation. But it's not until you start to see the other side of that. What does it mean to have that as a strength? it means you're actually really uncomfortable with with being either having more power or less power. And throughout your life, there are times when actually having those things and changing that dynamic is really healthy. So it's, understanding, you know, those opposites. But what else is there about sevens? Avoiding pain and suffering, wanting to do lots of, lots of different things, and they can be a bit hedonistic. But I think that's also one of the stereotypes of sevens because not all sevens are as hedonistic <laughs> or as party animals as they're sometimes portrayed to be. I think that's one of the stereotypes that persists but isn't always true.
0: Well, I kind of okay. agree, but I also agree that it's too much of a stereotype. If I look at what I look for in life is – I kind of, I mean, I seek pleasure at some level, but I also seek enlightenment. And I think the two, and not not like in the extreme sense, but having insights and the sheer experience of experiencing things. And that kind of modulates you because you don't become a real hedonist uh, because insight and wisdom, whatever, comes at the expense of pain and having to deal with the unpleasant. And the stereotype about a seven that we are all avoidant of unpleasant things I think it's true, but it's simplistic and it also changes with age because I think I've seen a lot of crap in my life and I'm still engaged in a lot of things that are depressing that make you question humanity. And I think I've learned to, I look at these things, I can face them sometimes better than many people around me, I believe. It depends on who I surround myself. I might have a low standard there, but um, it. Once you have a certain degree of maturity, which I proclaim I have, even though I'm immature in other ways, <laughs> you you get the whole picture and you appreciate the good in the world. But just because you know what can happen and I, I can look the unpleasant straight in the eye, I've learned that over years. So that stereotype is really, I think, incorrect based on my perception mm. of it. I don't know what Samantha thinks, but hedonistic is if you have any sort of desire for insight, which might be an ENTP thing, maybe where there's different sevens out there then you have to learn to face the darker side of things. But then you appreciate the good because you know there's a lot of dark out there. What do you think, Samantha?
2: Yeah, well, on a number of levels. So sevens are actually very pessimistic internally. So they actually can see all the dark stuff. They're really attuned to anything that's negative. And because they want to move away from it, they're like, okay, how do we make this more pleasant? How do we make this more fun? How do we be more optimistic about this, this darkness that we can see? We can see the pain, but we want to avoid having to engage with it too much. And so I think we often expect the internal world of sevens to be very positive as well, and it often isn't because we, that, there is that darkness that we can more attune to. And in terms of hedonism, like I always think of it as how fast do you read a book? So how superficially do you read something? So for me, it used to be how many books can I read as quickly as possible? Like I want a bit of every single book there is. And now I'm like, how could we just read one book all year? Like, how could we challenge ourselves to just really focus on one book as opposed to just trying to consume everything?
1: Going from variety and more variety and new, the next shiny book to Figuring out, oh, you know, what do I actually want to commit a little bit more to It's like mm-hmm. a seven.
2: I suspect a that sensory sevens would be more likely to be closer to the party animal side of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. than the intuitive sevens, um, which could also lead to mistyping. I know I often appear five-ish, you know, than, than seven-ish at times.
1: Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ENTP and ENFPs who are sevens, but look like they're five-ish because of the intuitive slant. Mm.
0: So you're saying I'm not very five-ish. I admit it. I'm an EFTP. I've come out. That's it. That's it. Are you a seven wing eight or seven wing six or tri-type or do you not believe in those concepts?
2: I work with the narrative Enneagram subtypes. So I'm a self-preservation seven.
0: So you're SPSPSO or I mean, maybe you don't, you just stop after the first?
2: No, no, Um. so it's a sequence. So you have a dominant so, and a repressed. Yeah, so I'm social repressed.
0: So you're SPSXSO? Correct. Okay, Okay. I would be, I mean, I could be wrong. I think I'm SXSOSP, so uh, that's what so it is. So you forget to
2: take care of yourself?
0: I think I do, yeah. Actually, honestly, yeah, like for example, taxes. Last night, there was a tax deadline. I made sure one of my friends got in and I got both of the payments in at 1158 and one at 1159, but I got, got hers in first. And I'm like, ah, crap, because I, <laughs> that's an ENTP thing. Do you not find, okay, maybe seven. There's something about being under duress, which almost calms my mind. <laughs> like I focus. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's extreme. I don't know if that's an ENTP straight. I've noticed that one of my friends, when, when they get, when they figure out I get calmer and calmer, and more focused like yeah i got i got 45 seconds this couldn't be wrong let me start this over here so it's it's almost like it's a great state of mind to be in but it comes at the expense of duress
1: yeah so personality hacker attributes that to the perceiving if you have ne or se higher up you get into a focused state you get into this flow state when you're time crunched or when like the situation is pressed it makes you focus more
0: it feels almost I like a high Oh, yeah. you, oh, okay but it might be maybe it's the sp part that's i wonder i mean i'm just so randomly sometimes a
2: deadline is fantastic but it i have to have chosen the deadline like you can't give it to me and it can't be irrelevant like if it's an irrelevant i'm like that deadline means nothing to me which is one of my problems with working in the corporate world i'm like well you just picked that number out of the air that's pointless like why should i abide by that particular i second that deadlines? And these are the i don't
0: want <laughs> but if it, i agree with you if somebody puts up a deadline I'm like why it's like what I have to get this done. If I'm convinced I have to get this done by Christmas, don't set me 15 intermittent deadlines. I'm going to fake, fake you out on that mm-hmm. if I have to, especially if you're an ESTJ. Like, yeah, 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 sure. Here, there it is. Bullshit, bullshit. But if life throws you deadlines, then that's okay. But it has to be moment in the moment, right? It's not deadlines I dislike, but if they come up, I'm like, I trust myself. I'm good at this. People are seizing next to me and twitching like, okay, what can we do? we got 15 minutes. It, it feels, that's how I would envision an INTJ works. Probably not at all, because then I have this clarity of vision. I can chop off all these branches, keep three going, and pursue the one that's most likely, if not go for a second. But it, it really narrows things down, even though NE is expansive. So it's a nice state to be in if it's not life or death, or and if it just happens to emerge, because it's not an artificially set deadline. It's a real deadline that life throws at you, mm. right, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think deadlines are really useful. It's just, it's your relationship to them that I've, I've had to do a lot of work on.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they seem more like a construct than something that's there for a purpose, it's like, oh, I'll question it. Does doesn't make sense?
2: But when you're self-employed, you also have to like impose deadlines on yourself to make certain things get happen. So then you have to figure out how do I, how am I choosing a deadline that is authentic to me that I'm actually gonna yeah. want to feel that stress and pressure of because I know that's gonna work for me. But I have to make sure the deadline is appropriate in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have more buy-in. That's true. I mean, I hate externally. Some guy says, I need this done. like, that's bullshit. You won't even have enough information. You will have to rework it. It's nice. I mean, self-employed is pros and cons. You have to appeal to and please your master. But you also have some distance. You negotiate. You can say, okay, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm a little more expensive. But I'm here to provide you this benefit. I'm selling you on the benefit. And now give this normally implies you have some leeway of i believe your deliverable is best achieved this way you have more freedom there's nothing worse than being estj and saying you gotta do this and this and this and this you're like
2: ah. i used to make a plan because they'd ask for them and once i handed it over i then just did my own thing I'm like, right, you've got the plan. You're happy. I'm going to get it, the outcome done, <laughs> but I'm going to do it in my flow state kind of way. And everyone was happy. <laughs>
0: Double bookkeeping. That's what I call it. Like, um, and again, I have this thing. It's it's gaming the ESTJ. I, you literally run up to them. Oh, you want a meeting? Let's have another one tomorrow. And then you have this separate bookkeeping. Yep. This, this, like bullshit. But then, the, do you want to meet again tomorrow? And like, no, I'm typically, okay, we can meet next week. But it's how I deliver it is up to me. And so far it works, mm-hmm. right? But.
1: Yeah, and for that reason, I believe that ENTPs, they might enjoy self-employment for that reason.
0: Of course, that's an aspect of self-employment. You have control, you have some agency, and we're not bad at selling somebody on something that makes sense, right? I mean, I like pitching stuff to, let's say, an ENTJ or an INTJ. ENTJ is a little more forceful, but you get their ear if you say, look, you have a business problem to solve, or I have something that will save you money. Do you have 15 minutes? Let me pitch that to you. They will get it. They will get it. Um, whereas others that are more SI strong might be just, oh, but that's not how we've been doing this. I'm like, yeah, you you had both experiences. but
2: The challenge I had was that um, I was very good at pitching ideas without first deciding if that was something I wanted to deliver. Oh, okay, okay. And so I got myself in all sorts of situations going, well, I could deliver this, but turns out I don't like it, or this isn't going as well as I imagined it would have gone. Um, And... Through that I learned how, you know, to choose and really focus on the kind of career or work I wanted to do. But it took a lot of of those sort of being a bit too opportunistic, as the self-preservation seven can be, and ending up in situations like, oh, this is this is not going so well. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> start again. <laughs> um, but in terms of self-employment, I like that I've crafted something that is uniquely me. I get to do mm. what I want to do all the time, I mean, well, you know, within some constraints that I've accepted <laughs> and I'm happy with those constraints. They're not someone else's constraints. Um, I know I spoke to some ENFPs and INFPs who were like, I can't do what you do because uh, they felt that I was compromising my values in some way. I'm like, well, no, I'm not because my values.
0: I don't have, have any values. So that's <laughs> what they were <would> saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it took me a while to it get, it's like, what are my values? It took a really long time. And, and over years of doing values exercises to go, oh, okay, my number one value is creativity. And if that is being satisfied every day, I am satisfied.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And But that took years to finally nail down.
1: That's awesome. Samantha, you mentioned how the three subtypes of the seven are manifested very differently. So I'm wondering if we could go into that a little bit too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So
2: for people who don't know about the, the instincts, Um, I'll give you just a really brief overview of the instincts before you combine them with gluttony. So, the self-preservation focuses on making sure the body is taken care of and keeping the body alive. And so, that can be eating when you're hungry, putting on a jumper when you're cold, you know, going to the bathroom when you need to, also having enough money to have a house and have somewhere safe to live. So, sort of thinking that way. Um, The challenge is when that's dominant, it means they think that their life is permanently Threatened, yes. So they're more fearful, they're more anxious, they're more introverted, and so that, you know, shows up and blends in some way. So if you have an extrovert with a dominant self-preservation instinct, they might be more introverted in their presentation. Um, The social instinct focuses on belonging to a group in some form, Um, but when that's a dominant instinct, it means they tend to want to take leadership roles, be more political, have the approval of the group in, in some form. And the sexual instinct focuses on bonding with someone um, one-to-one. So that can be a partner, um, but it can also be a best friend. It's this, like, desire for close friends or a singular close person in their life. As a dominant instinct, it means they want to um, almost become that person in some way, like that person is their world, Um, so they can be more passionate, intense, aggressive, competitive in the way that some of the other types aren't. And they're also... It almost gives them greater access to that life energy, that vital energy, so they can actually have a lot more intensity and access to anger than we see with the other subtypes.
0: ENTPs so- get angry? I mean, I'm just curious. I, I don't have any anger issues. In fact, I, anger <laughs> is one thing is a, a red flag for me. Well, my, one of my best friends, is an INTJ psychiatrist. He would always ask me, okay, are you angry now? No, I'm just annoyed, and he's like, "No, he wasn't. No, no, I'm, I'm, just annoyed." Yeah, <laughs> so and so it's interesting.
2: I get really angry. Anger is something that is really accessible for me. Um, so yeah, so the self-preservation seven, when you combine it with gluttony, wants to create safety by having a network of people. So as I mentioned earlier, they want to get to know everybody in the organization because knowing everyone will help them meet their needs. So they're not they're more superficial relationships, and how I know. they're very opportunistic. They're very driven sort of go-getters in that sort of sense. The social seven wants to help people. So they want to show that they're not selfish. So they will aim to relieve other people's pain to avoid having to deal with their own. So they're often grief counsellors, therapists, doctors, nurses. That sort of something that's sort of pain relieving for others. And so they're far more mellow. And they also, they'll take the smallest slice of cake to show that they're not selfish. I will take the largest slice of cake. You know, I like, and I just want no one to see that I've taken the largest slice of cake, but I'm not taking the smallest slice. That's not happening. Um, and then the, the sexual seven is the most optimistic. They are the most, it's, you know, the, the bright and shiny. They're sort of very excited and they love to be excited and they get excited by excitement. And it's really, really wearing the rose colored glasses and how they see the world and their relationships.
0: I, I hear that. I'm just wondering, assuming I am X, whether it's true and it's not true because I'm very aware of the negative possibilities. In fact, this maybe you can also speak on from an ATMP perspective. Normally when I face with something, I actually try to deliberately look at the worst. A couple of worst case scenarios, but only so I can generate a few possibilities that are not fully baked by saying, Oh yeah, I can handle this worst outcome. And now I'm gonna focus on making it the best outcome. It, it might be self-serving because I, I'm kind of just, I'm not saying falsely, but at some level trying to reassure myself, yeah, but it'll all be fine. But I have to look at the worst and I'm detached and I can live with it, but then i let go. Because I notice I have some friends, they look at the worst, but then when they look at it, they get stuck in it. They make it like, they treat it like reality. So almost what calms me down for them oh. is just a trigger to make them go crazy um to 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 ex- run away with believing the worst case scenario is going to happen whereas for me it's really just i look into darkness can i handle darkness there's three four things i can do i'm not trapped because i have options and i trust myself that i can come up with others or grab one of these three branches that i have right. to deal with that crap but i'm very in that sense very v- i'm always thinking about contingencies even in a work context and it, it, it serves me well in a loose sort of sense right so it's sort of maybe a contradiction of, oh, why does it look at the worst? But I, I think I do it so I can convince myself I can handle it, right? mm. so.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's just a, I, just a way of reframing negatives into positives in its own sort of way.
1: Yeah, and the Enneagram 7 has a fixation on planning. And so in a sense, like it's envisioning the negative possibilities <clears throat> and it's like, okay, so now that I know it's like a loose plan, like, all right, I can handle it. All right, so that I don't have to focus on that. I can reframe it and then I can just, I can make the best out of this situation. So I'm wondering if the fixation of gluttony might appear a little differently in ENTPs than it does in other types. Like maybe you guys seek variety in areas that other Enneagram 7s may not be going to, or maybe it's the same areas. Like there's intersection, there's overlap, and there's also like maybe some trends that are more ENTP-ish.
2: Well, for me, it was definitely reading books and consuming information in vast quantities. Yeah. and I do regret not having partied more. You know, I've not gone to festivals and raves and done all of that. I, that's, I wish I'd done more of that, but I just was yeah. reading all the time.
1: Quite a few ENTPs and ENFPs can relate to that, which is why a lot of ENFPs actually score Enneagram 5 on Enneagram tests, but it, they're really 7s. And the reason why is they love consuming books, like what you were talking about, Samantha. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, "Oh, I'm actually a seven, but the way that I consume as a seven can also be knowledge, because N E loves to learn new ideas and new concepts and new theories. Mm-hmm. So that can overlap a little bit. You get. When I lived
2: of- in London, I consumed the theater. I went to the theater like once or twice a week for the whole time I was there. When I moved to Auckland, I went to every new cafe, like I was always in a new cafe. So it's always like wherever I'm living, what is that one thing I can consume in vast quantities um, that feels exciting? You know, excitement feels like the best emotion to me and I kind of want to live with it permanently. And it's like, oh, how can we chase more excitement? Like, what is the exciting thing? What does that look like? So.
0: And it's a chase that's more interesting, right? I mean, I, I'm, I had a discussion with Joyce about, <laughs> it is um, the chase. about motivation and even how extroverted and introverts are different probably on a, from a neurotransmitter level. I mean, it's probably dopamine. Uh, the pursuit of novelty or experience is probably modulated by dopamine. And it's actually not so much a result. It's the anticipation of chasing something is better than that's why for me sometimes if I do something very interesting or I have a great project when it comes to an end it's almost like it's really sad <laughs> yes <laughs> because the, the journey's over I live for okay. the journey I want to get to a final I can pick another one but it's like I did an awesome job yeah oh,
2: and yeah, I'd much rather something. get a surprise a week or two weeks before it happens because if you just surprise me with something on the day I haven't had time to enjoy all the anticipation
1: yeah There's also that association with extroverted intuition where the thinking about the thing may be as exciting or more exciting than actually doing the thing. So as Samantha was saying, give me time to ideate about it. That would be super exciting too. And Boris mentions a really interesting point too about the journey is more fun than the destination. So it's like, wow, oh, the journey ended. That's sad. There's a process-orientedness to sevens and also to EPs in general too.
0: Yeah, whereas for somebody like Joyce, it's no, I have the goal. And then when I get there, I feel so happy or not. I don't know, but, but it's the it would be, and I would probably be the one that looks for the goal. And then when you reach it, you feel like, wow, I did it. My master plan. Or not. I mean I'm asking Joyce it's always it's about sevens and P
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. Like I would say generally if you were to see trends, the J types are more enthused by the the end result or the end of the journey and the P types like the journey and just traveling about the journey too.
0: I mean don't worry, I like both. So let's say in, in a work context, I have some freedom. <laughs> and and speaking back to why we why we we don't like the doing that it just has to do I can have I can in my mind solve Ten thousand problems within a day, but then it's almost like a computer. A computer lives in digital time. You have so many cycles, you can process so much information. But then, when you have to do it in the real world, there's just less that you can do, right? But I actually someone, I want to ask you sometimes, whether it's an ENTp thing. What I really sometimes experience is almost like a time warp. I'm I'm sitting with somebody in a in a business scenario. They describe me a problem, and I swear it's almost like. I I step into another timeline. I'm brainstorming. I I feel I have thought 500 things. I can build this, I can build that. I see all these things. And then I look at the clock. It's like three minutes have passed. And then the frustration is, I have to build this. I know how to build this. I'm really good at timing myself. I remember one time it was a project which was like it involved 400 hours of planning. I actually went through it and planned it ahead in chunks. I delivered 20 hours early. I hated doing it, but I knew I had to do it in order to get there. There was some joy in planning it out, but there's always a joy along the way. It's like, and shit happened. Thank God something went wrong. Ah, there's these three contingencies. But it's, um. what was I trying to say about, um? now I lost my, lost my thought in the tangent. Yeah, there's time warp. Do you experience that sometimes? Where you're like, oh my God, three minutes passed. And I, I entered a new world. I think I know what I can do. There's all these options. And then the frustration sets in. But do you find that the time seems to freeze sometimes? Sometimes,
2: I know, like some days time seems to pass really quickly and sometimes time seems to pass really slowly. It's like I'm not very connected to time.
0: So, so when I meant well. it's actually going fast. Well, I, I said the opposite. It's not freezing. It's just two minutes passed, but you felt like you went on a journey where you went in a world of possibility and literally, oh, my God, two minutes just passed and that's all. Yeah. And I have to build this.
1: I
2: was – um the most recent example of that was I was in a Enneagram workshop last year and we were discussing about growing out of the passion and what that looks like and I had this moment where it was almost like I lived a lifetime in about 30 seconds okay, where I could see all of the time wasted in my passion and everything and I'm like oh that was just 30 seconds wow okay I could just every my whole life flashed before my eyes and it felt yeah so it yeah definitely can happen um, but my So 10-ish years ago, I experienced some really extreme stress. And so I don't TI the way I used to in terms of that internal brain experience. So now I have to externalize things more. So because of that, I don't get as much joy out of the thinking because I can't see all the pieces moving inside my brain the way I could before. So pre pre this incident, I could just see all the pieces of information, like all visual just moving inside my head like a great big whirlstorm that eventually like things would just connect and I could just see it all happening. And now I can't. So everything has to be externalised. I have to write it down. I have to make it. I have to connect the dots almost externally because things don't, doesn't work the same anymore.
0: I find that interesting and I don't want to intrude on something that's very personal because... I, I'm trying to understand what what type of experience caused that shift. Is it? Is it? I mean, I I don't want to even use words to describe it. I leave it up to you because that sounds very interesting and, at some level, traumatic almost.
2: Mm, prolonged um, stress, prolonged cortisol and adrenaline exposure due to okay. um, being in the wrong career, in the wrong workplace, and feeling like I had no choices. The wrong, like every part of my life was not working, and I felt very trapped you know, and not able to escape it in some way. And it culminated when I was living in London. I think all those pieces had been there for a while, but they all came together at the exact same time. And, yeah, just prolonged stress. And I'd been ignoring that stress for a very long time. So the only way my body could really get me to pay attention was to take away the thing I valued the most, my ability to
1: think, you know, and remember
2: and and hold all that stuff together.
1: Thanks Sorry. for sharing that. A lot of people wonder about the intersection of like what can change your brain chemistry permanently. It's kind of like the Phineas Gage thing for those unfamiliar. It's like there's this psychological case where there was a pole or a pipe or something in it went into someone's head and then they had a personality shift. It opens up the discussion like how much does it take for someone to have like a permanently altered personality and what events can cause it so that really does open the door for for Mm -hmm. speculation so thanks for letting us know about that yeah i i was just going to say it's definitely
2: um forced me to become more intuitive in a way and in a more of a sensory way like like what is my what are the messages i'm getting from my body and let's trust that so a different kind of intuition than we'd think out with within a yeah i have hoped instead
0: yeah. And to speak of, you mentioned brain chemistry, it's two things, brain chemistry, but also brain anatomy, because, I mean, brain is really a neural network. And things that are very important when you talk about cortisol is uh, a relation between uh, amygdala and the hippocampus, right? And uh, there's the fear-based or concern regulation actually tends to correlate with cortisol, I think, shrinks the hippocampus, which is not a good thing and might Put the amygdalas on a little more alert, alert, which is more primal, more close to sensory, and create sort of a background of an anticipation of what's the next, when's the next thing going to hit me? And that's where what kind of inhibits the free flowing state we like to be in, which sometimes is risky because it's so detached. So I ideally want to balance, but it's brain anatomy as well as chemistry and interaction. And how, I mean, I've, I've, Looked into stuff like hippocampus. It's very interesting. that stuff that I enjoy doing. For example, playing ping pong, or dancing. Dancing of any sort has an amazing benefit on hippocampus. Even at an age of sixty something, you can mm-hmm. actually grow the hippocampus noticeably in seniors just by making them dance. Because uh, it's the whole it's it's physical movement, which a hippocampus responds to, but also spatial planning, um, coordination, in improvisation responding to music which does amazing things like i've had a friend who had a stroke music therapy in in the case of brain injury does he, he they studied him he was a miracle he, they said he'd be paralyzed forever but he was an avid tango dancer so he got out of his wheelchair people were calling him like no let's mm. dance he can dance again yeah and they said they, they said we don't know how that happened but so don't underestimate music movement so i was saying everybody should go out there pick some dance you like it doesn't have to be salsa
2: yeah, and I started dancing in the last 10 years, and it's been great. It's been absolutely fabulous.
0: <coughs> West Coast so, yeah. Swing, Salsa, how far did you go?
2: Siroc <laughs> Didn't quite make it to West Coast Swing. It was too much footwork. I need the least amount of footwork required.
0: <laughs> West Coast is the crown, I think. It's the one where you really know your stuff. Salsa is eh, everywhere accessible, but West Coast is the, is the queen or king. It's just yeah. a little hard. I did
2: ballroom dancing years ago. I went, oh, no, this is too structured.
0: That's too like rules. <laughs> <West Coast. laughs> Crafty.
1: <laughs> where's the free-flowing improvisation dance that's the one i want exactly <laughs> this might demonstrate a quality of the seven two which is channel changing so like switching topics a variety in conversation <laughs> variety here with this topping variety there and so common speech patterns you'll see in sevens is some of them have a little bit more rapid pace when they talk like with boris he just talks like Oh no, what do you <laughs> and sometimes they like this doesn't apply for all of them, but sometimes they have a twinkle in their eye because they're always looking at new things externally or variety or consuming the world in a fascinated and excited way. And that can show up in how their eyes like are like twinkly and like, I'm on the lookout for the new things that I can glutton. Mine are too
0: beady to twinkle. I should have been Asian, but I have this weird flap on.
1: (laughs) I've just locked myself in a
2: low sense. There's no sensory here in this room so I can remain focused. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the darting seven eyes. What's new? <laughs> and so how does the Enneagram seven show up in you guys?
2: Well, I mean, definitely the faster speech patterns, definitely the tangents, absolutely, definitely um looking away, because it's not um firstly head types don't feel comfortable maintaining eye contact or, you know, too intensely being close to people in that sense. So head types naturally just break contact to ease the tension between them. But also as they get new ideas or they're thinking things or they're trying to choose which tangent to choose between, they can look away to try and process that. And I definitely do all of those things. And one of the challenges is that some people think that you're you're lying or being shifty when you're looking away and really you're just information processing. You're trying to pick a thread because there's so many to choose from.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was picking the um, kind of physiological tangent. In general, like seven, it's a stereotype of being very optimistic, seeking novelty, which can be intellectual and also circumstantial. I mean, I like to go dancing, but I also like to be the introvert at the back of the room, looking at all the people thinking, okay, who's interested in whom? What's going to (laughs) happen? And just projecting things. So, yeah, and there is avoidance of pain, but seeking out, the pleasureful and quote-unquote good, and I don't like good or bad because he says such F- FI terms, but also an awareness of, just as a contrast of, there's misery in the world I need to look at. But I might as well be optimistic and, and, and maybe a need for not being trapped. Even when I look at the bad stuff, I need to know I have options. I do not want to be in a room without an exit door right? I might be in a relationship, which is great, but I need to know it's not a trap, because then I would leave. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's it's almost like, hey, I'm here by choice, and it's been years, and I'm here by choice, right? So fear of, yeah. fear of being entrapped. But it's also, here's a question, I wonder, and this is few data points, whether you can explain a, a seven based on, you can explain a person, but the question is nature versus nurture. I think I've seen patterns in my life which kind of might have predisposed me to being a seven, even though my brother probably is not a seven and we're only one year apart. Like I've often experienced being, being trapped by the impulsive and poorly thought of actions of somebody else that might trap you for a year. Like my, my father did certain things in his business. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a two-year piece of misery. I know how it's going to end because I can end it. I will have to help him because the business is going to be a death march. And having been exposed to that, and therefore, wanting to have the ultimate decisive power still with me and not be the subject of somebody else's poor decisions that trap you for extended periods of time. So, I could make an association between some things I experienced and who I've become. Mind you, on the flip side, my brother, he's ESFJ, same cognitive functions, but totally different, is a very different person. So, maybe it's it's not a good data set. I just wonder what you think about it. Or, and nature versus nurture in general, which is mm. a tough topic and something so.
2: I think for me I can't be trapped by anybody else I can be trapped by myself so when I was growing up and I wanted to leave home and I didn't have any choices I was like okay leaving home is probably a dumb idea so I will choose to stay here because in the future that'll be better for me but I'm not going to like it but no one I, I had to impose that on myself versus if someone tried to impose that on me I'd just you know I'd be out you know it just I find it's yeah. So it's a bit, I think that's a bit different in terms of that perspective, but I suppose I sort of see, or sort of the uh, the approach that I'm learning in terms to the Enneagram is that we're, we're you know, our Enneagram type is part of our DNA. It's, we're, it's formed in, we have it while we're in utero, we're born with it. And the way we see the world as we're growing up is already through that lens. So each child in the family will see the exact same things through their own Enneagram lens and therefore interpret it and respond to it differently. And the level of stress you have in that childhood would then, you know, indicate how defended you need to be or what other parts of the Enneagram you need to reach out to for extra resources to cope. But we've done, you know, I've observed work with sexual nines who had um, merged with their twin in utero, and that twin died. And so, you know, so those sort of patterns can start really early, those, you know, pivotal um, shaping experiences. So I think it's both. It's nature and nurture.
0: Yeah, and to speak to, again, your fellow NTP, I'm not trying to contradict you. I'm just trying to put a new spin on it and point to the distinction between DNA and early development because DNA just, it's almost, it's like you build a computer. It tells you what hardware components are in there. But it doesn't explain you having an experience with a computer. There's software in there as well. I believe there might be a predisposition, but what I often find, and I've known a few identical twins, it might not be fully written into the sequence and the DNA, but it might be early semi random formative experiences. For example, this is just a stretched example. A certain aspect of a person's personality may be shaped. Oh, when you grow up, your brain sort of semi randomly decides to organize in different groups, right? You start with a cell that specializes, and there might be random events where a certain part of your neural network, which is not determined by DNA, it's really its experiences trigger certain neurons to fire together, wire together, and shape a person. It might be random where, for example, if a certain aspect of your emotionality was shaped at a certain age, and this is it kind of a fake, simplistic. It may make a difference whether you are in the midst of winter when that aspect of yours, which has to do with trust, is, is, is created while you're freezing your buns off versus, ah, oh, it's spring, it's wonderful and beautiful. You might have a different software imposed over your DNA, even though DNA sets the limits of what you can. But aspects of personality might be semi-random depending on where what happened when you were shaping that aspect of your brain network that controls it. Because I've, I've, and especially with twins, I find they often are almost each other's opposite, but that's probably an adaptation where they choose roles. Like once the extrovert, once the introvert, low data set. uh, So the main point was DNA, but I don't believe it's DNA. It's DNA and random aspects that form you while your brain, which an analog we don't
2: come in as blank slates though we already our brains already have some pre-programming even from birth
0: yeah i i I would agree i just wonder what where the cutoff is but but some people say oh it's determined it's not in the genes because i've known too many identical twins that are very different personalities Mm. so so it's not to contradict it's just to nuance saying well let's say you wanted the analogy of a computer and i'm a techie maybe this doesn't appeal to many people so, uh, the hardware you put on the desk really determines what you could possibly do with that thing. If it's a little laptop, you can do certain things. If it's a big monster, you can make a half-supercomputer a gaming rig. So it constrains it, but then what matters is the software that's loaded, and that is somewhat random based on interactions, but which doesn't contradict. It's just I find often people say, oh, it's in the DNA. I'm like, qualify. It's what percentage, right? And, I, and I'm and i getting from you. You're... you're in the nature plus nurture just sometimes i hear people oh it's all dna or it's not dna it's it's somewhere all oh, right
2: no i think I, it's i'm both. not saying you are
0: i'm just mm. speaking to
2: no well see i i think of it so each, um enneagram type is associated with certain psychological defenses like strategies for survival that we all use so the sevens use rationalization idealization and devaluation whereas the um fives use intellectualization and compartmentalization and so each of the type has these and all of those every person has access to all of those defences inside of their, I don't know if you want to call it software or how you want to work it, but we have access to all of them. But there's some we reach to first, you know, and that's based on our, you know, personality type that, you know, I think comes with us. That's our first port. And if those aren't enough, we're going to reach out because we have access to all of them. And then as we grow up, we find it easier to let go of certain ones bar our primary one.
1: That's how I think about it. I entirely, I entirely agree with both of you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like that you're such a peacemaker. You agree with both of you. Like, I mean, we're not disagreeing. It's just funny. I Why like not? the way you're working. We're just
2: looking at it from a different angle. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, I love <laughs> the way you say that. That's you know about you. It. <laughs> so,
0: every you, you're such a peacemaker.
1: So, I heard agree with both of your 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 takes on it, and is argument, it presents a lot of food for thought, even for like the MBTI community too. You know, there's that huge nature versus nurture debate and most people in the MBTI community say it's like purely nature, but then the implication comes from identical twins who have the exact same DNA structure, but they have different MBTI types. And so it's like, are they mistyped? Are they the same type or is a part of your type formed by nurture too? So I think that's a great conversation item that people don't talk enough about. So who knows what the answer truly is, but that allows for more critical thought to be there. It's probably a percentage of both sides.
0: That's yeah. what I would say. So we would only bicker about, is it 65 or 35, <laughs> if at all. And and I would say they have the same DNA. And if you do a functional FMIA imaging, you will probably see a very different structure because growth of a plant is random. Two plants that have the exact same... See, they will grow differently based on random things that are formative, right? Because at that point in time you were vulnerable to that aspect being shaped. And it's just just to inject the which I ultimately want to see I'll let everything is a percentage to me, most mostly. It's anything black or white. I have friends who, who I find are very black or white, and it's not, oh, it really offends me. It's just it doesn't do the world justice. If you wanna if you if you look at jungle, I've said it before, if you have only a black pen black or white, it will never look like the jungle because you're just not using enough colors to capture the beauty of something. So I'm hesitant of anything that very quickly is good or bad, black or white. These are sort of almost trigger words for me. It's like, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> anyways.
2: And we all have such unique experiences. Like no one's experience isn't like anyone else's. And so I think you've got to have space for all of that too.
1: Yeah, I agree. And so that brings us to the two error points. So, for the seven, it is the one and five. How did you both experience your lines to one and five?
2: Mm. I'll start with five because sort of the place I've spent the last ten years hanging out in being a little bit too uh, in recovery mode and a bit too, fo- you know introvert in that sense. But the five gave me a way to be introverted that I really needed. Um, and permission to be introverted and to stay in that space so then I could start to look at feelings and ask for help and just not be as distracted by the world around me. So when I moved to New Zealand, I was both disappointed and secretly happy because there was nothing to do. Um, And so there was nothing I could be distracted by. And eventually it gave me space to finally settle down and and, create some more groundingness for myself, which then has allowed me to start to move into one, to be more focused, to prioritize better, to get things done and to really decide on, you know, what is the way I want to impact the world. So I don't need to do everything. I don't need variety. I can um, almost have quite a simple minimalist life where I do just what I love to do every day and it doesn't need all the variety to be satisfied.
0: Yeah, five I can. I mean, it might be my ba- I mean, my background is math and physics. So I really, I, I do try... Ultimately, I trust my TI. TI is actually probably my bedrock when it comes to decision-making, but FE informs it and injects some humanity into it. So I associate TI with FIVE. I'm, I think TI is a place I can be home. I, it's almost like I switch something else off. If I need to solve a problem that would require TI or FIVE-like behavior, I, it's something I'm at home at if I need to be, even though I don't live there because my soul isn't there. Um, in terms of one... Could I maybe somewhat associate with SI, but that may not be may not be the strongest association. I can be, I've been called a selectively anal slob. Like some stuff I at work. I, I'm very chill. My 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 desk is messed up. You see my shirts. But stuff that that matters to me, especially let's say a coding context, I can almost be a soup Nazi. But then I really I think I can back up why we want to do it A, B, or C, but we don't want to do that other stuff. So I feel almost like an selective ISTJ in that context, which I would associate with that structure wanting to impose. So question for Samantha, would it be okay to loosely associate SI as with being a one or SI being strong in a one? Or is that maybe i made a
2: one? Well, you have to remember you can have INFJs who are ones. So again, you can see all types at the one. So it's not just purely sensory in that form but the ones are a body type so they are naturally going to be more sensory anyway and they do want to have a sense of structure they want to know the rules because what they're trying to do is avoid blame in some way and they avoid blame by doing exactly what the rules tell them to do and so there is there is an imposition of structure um, because the their childhood experience was was having to be on someone else's timetable, not able to follow their own instincts per se. And so being pressured to be, you know, you know not listen to their own physical or, you know, bodily instincts.
1: Yeah. yeah they still don't it, listen.
0: <laughs> <I'm just kidding.
1: laughs> there is a correlation between the STJ types, like ISTJs and, I and ESTJs and Enneagram 1.
0: That's um, kind of what I thought. That was the loose, and I'm t- talking statistical correlation, not deterministic by any way or form right
1: there are some qualities of enneagram one that do resonate with some like stereotypical stj traits like the There's one right way to do things is typically associated with STJs. There's one right way to fold your laundry or there's one right way to cook an egg. There's one right way to cut an onion. You cut it like this and that's associated with SI and TE together because the TE is logical order and controlling how it's done. So it's done right. And the SI has a specific way that it likes it done, like a very detailed way. But like the different types can all be one, but they'll manifest the one in different ways. And the way, what you just
2: described was more of a social one, more of I know the right way to do it and I model it for others, whereas the Mm -hmm. self-preservation one's more perfectionistic, I must be perfect, but I never managed to be perfect. And the sexual one's more of the has greater access to anger, so they tend to be more of the reformer, I want to perfect others. And so we could quite possibly see different Myers-Briggs types at each
1: of those different subtypes. 100% 100%
0: agree, 10,000%. <laughs> I think I have more tension with the one than with the five. The five I'm comfortable with. The one, it, because it has all this only one option, it fights with NE or just my general, the moment somebody speaks in absolutes, I'm like, oh yeah, let me challenge you on that. So, but I, I'm sure I can be as selectively, anal slob.
2: I remember... Um- Several years ago, um, I was sitting down to go, right, what's my next job? Because I'd come to the end of a contract or whatever it was. And I was like, right, I could do these four different things. I'm like, those are four very different careers, you know, and I'd been holding on to those options because that way you have more jobs you could apply for or more contracts you can go for. And I was like, okay, actually, maybe it's time to choose the one, which is the one career path that gives you the most joy that gives you you the most excitement you know that you want to sort of start deep diving into and i then i let go of the other three and for me i think of it as that sort of thing it wasn't it was being able to give up the options that i felt kept me kept me safe and able to go actually will be safer we just choose the one path as well like we can live with that constraint
0: i find that interesting because if you're sp then you uh, you have a very different high-level driver or co-driver in the boat than I do, right? Because what you described probably stems from SP, right? Because I would I would not word things in terms of making decisions because it's safe, but for you it is because you're SP, whereas I'm SX, right? Yes, yeah.
1: What Boris is saying is he lives on the
0: edge. <laughs> I am the edge. <laughs> hey, when I was three or four years old, I jumped off, uh, off the roof of a building, and I still have that feeling. I remember that feeling. I get excited when I look down, on uh, on a large distance downward. There's an excitement, a positive excitement as well. But I, I jumped off the, off the room of a building with an umbrella and it was saved by a truck that was too close <laughs> to the wall.
2: Okay, I went skydiving many, many years ago and I controlled all of my fear, So I felt absolutely nothing for the whole experience. When I got to the end and went, I was meant to feel the fear that was the point of the exercise you can do it again <laughs> no <Nope>, that's unnecessary
0: <laughs> there's so, an excitement yeah. if you ever stand at the edge of something and look down it's mm.
2: no because i might jump off
0: yeah <laughs> just make sure you have an umbrella <laughs> and i don't want to jump, jump off
1: you. I to hold myself back from jumping off <laughs> cool you can kind of figure out your subtype sometimes through your relationship with fear it seems like the sexual instinct has an intensity with diving into like hitting fear it's almost like this intensity with fear it's like bam whereas like the self president type is like i don't want to feel fear fear feels like it's threatening my safety (laughs) so no (laughs) Mm.
0: that's a really interesting insight i've never that that's new i mean it's yeah i think that's an interesting thought
1: I wonder how the social approaches this. One day we will find an ENTP. They'll seven. hug it, like, if we'll
0: all get along. Um, the ENTP
1: seven. Yeah.
2: Mm. All right. If anyone has any anxiety, I tend to check if they're a self preservation, you know, because often the anxiety can be coming from that self preservation instinct, that desire to be safe in some way.
0: And t- since you has been an expert, Samantha, I mean, those three, they're all in a hierarchy. Do you find there are some combinations that are more extreme where the first and the third are further apart than otherwise?
2: They can be for some people. Um, for some people they can have one very strong domino or one very strong oppressed or they can have two that are closer together. Um, so, yeah, the, the combinations can vary for people. Um, I know that my social oppressed shows up as being almost a fear of large groups, so I don't like to go to music festivals um, or other places where there's lots of people. Because that makes me feel anxious.
0: Which aspect is that? Because I don't like going there because I hate noise. I mean, I'm, I dance a lot. I used to go to clubs, but I always had small custom-made earplugs. And they would laugh at me. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not going to blast my <laughs> ear drums. But oh, it, oh, is know, I would about never do that because it
2: would ruin the experience.
0: Um, no, you're just it's like having a volume. You don't jet, want jet to have jet air.
2: Uh, I think it's that sense of safety of not having a like an anchor. So some seven, some self press sevens describe the need to have an anchor, to, to someone to connect to in some way, and yeah. So the self press types tend to want to be alone a little bit more. They're more likely to withdraw from people, where the the sexual types more likely to be comfortable one on one, and the social more likely to be comfortable in a group setting in some way. And so at a large event like a music festival, I'd want to withdraw, but then that's also not there's people everywhere. And who do you go back to? And where's the exit? And if I just want to take a time out, how do I do that and then come back again? So it's just, you know, I think whatever your repressed um, function is, there is some part of some aspect of life that you're trying to pretend almost doesn't exist or um, is so uncomfortable that you almost try and forget about it. But you can never really forget about it because it you know constantly shows up when you're in that sort of
1: space. Makes sense. How do your instincts show up in your life then?
2: I haven't left the house much recently. Um, And my self preservation would always have me thinking about what what am I eating today? You know, my plan for the day is what are my three meals? Where am I? Where's my food coming from today? So the self preservation instinct for me as a dominant is food related, warmth related. Am I wearing enough clothes? Do I have a scarf? Does my handbag have enough pens in it? Do I have, am I carrying everything I'm going to possibly need? Um, and so it's almost resource and material focused around those sort of those needs in some way. That's how my primary one shows up.
0: Which I find interesting because it's my last, and it's sort of the opposite. I could forget to eat. I'm like, oh, I didn't eat today. No wonder I'm hungry. I'm, I'm, I would like, love oh, to I'm going to forget later. to eat. <laughs> Say again.
2: I would love to forget to eat. It carries so much weight in my brain. I'm like, oh, is there enough food in the house? Where's the next meal coming from? What's going on?
0: Yeah, and then if you, I think my based on your statement, my SX and S O are closer, and the S P is sitting way over there, which makes me sometimes I do not look after my own interest for a long time. For example, this is an example: I had billings from a certain company. It, I didn't bill them for three months. <laughs> I'm losing. I mean, interest rates are low, but I just have to send them a bill. But I'm more more interested in. Okay, tomorrow I have this other meeting. There's this other guy. Oh, there's something I might be able to do with him. I. I really connect well with them and um, I'm going to help these people out. And I forget, like, I forget to get my own. I, I even took a, a brief loan out from a line of credit just to pay something that came up. And I expect I'm thinking three months. I let them see <laughs> this money could be making money for me. But it's something I struggle with because it's just less of a priority than meeting that other guy tomorrow and finding something that he likes and building something for him quickly that he's happy with. right? So. Mm.
2: Whereas outstanding invoices like that are very stressful for me because it's almost threatening my survival at a subconscious level. I find it a
1: lot. It seems like self-preservation last sometimes can sound like ADHD a little bit too because, like, people with ADHD are are known for forgetting about their own needs because they're like, oh, wait, I, I forgot that I had to do those those bills or I forgot that I had to – eat or I, I forgot that <laughs> I'm supposed to do these things or else I have extreme penalties after. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. But it's really, it's a conscious prioritization. Every time I say it comes up, it's like, Oh no, I'm not going to do it this week because I think it's more important that I get this done. So I'm aware of it. It just doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm managing my finances. I'm, I'm, I get stuff in, in time, but it's sort of a degree of priority. I would rather mm-hmm. get that new gig going. And now, when I get to it, I can be my accountant says, "Boys, you could have been an accountant." I'm saying, "Yeah, but I would be pulling my hair out because I do my own numbers. I give them to him. He's like, okay, 'Okay, I've very little to do. It's you can do it yourself.' I'm like, ah, I want you to double check it, but it's it's a lack of fun. Ne again, I think there's a correlation. Ne and Sp do probably are on opposite of the spectrum. I mean, I could be wrong, but Ne doesn't like the Sp personality type too much, or or it has some issues with it tension
2: um, tensions yeah mm. and i mean conversely with the social oppressed i had two um, engagements this week social events and i almost had to tr- well for one of them i had to trick myself into going and i'm like oh my god it's gonna be really uncomfortable and now i had a fabulous time but although I, I could have easily stayed home on the couch and just binge watch television as opposed to go out uh, to this social event so i can forget to prioritize because I fear the uncomfortableness of going to social events at times. Well, especially social events with lots of strangers. Let me, you know, let me clarify.
0: I find the relationship between SX and SO was sort of interesting. And there were people in my my MBTI group that had challenged that, oh, you're probably SO, because they see how I behave in a in a group context. They go together, but for me really is SO is a great way of herding together these potential one-on-one interactions. I still care for the group. Like I do things for the group's benefit, but it's it's slightly secondary to, yeah, and still by having them all in one spot, I have more possibilities of taking that person in the corner. Because that's ultimately when when I feel best. So when I in a physical yeah. meetup, I make sure the group is happy, but then I grab a random table, spend 20 minutes with them, and then look at my group again. But it's sort of the two go together really well. Absolutely. Where I could see SP and SX actually I don't know, SP is just my, my sort of blind spot using improper terminology, maybe. But it's just interesting that you are some other. You're in many levels like me and also very different, which, again, speaks to even if we're combining two typing systems and allow for all the permutations, really, there's so much variation within each type or subtype or artificially created type, right? So mm, Absolutely. It's-
1: Very true, yeah. The stereotypical ENTP that would be easy to type would be a 7 that's social-sexual or sexual-social with the self-prez repressed. EPs in general, it's easy to type an EP who's an Enneagram 7 and has SP repressed. That's like the stereotype of the EP. And so if you have an extrovert who has the subtype stack of self-prez first and social repressed, they're going to look like a pseudo introvert and people could mistype them or they could mistype themselves as an introvert. And so that's interesting. You, you can see why people would accidentally mistype when you get to involve other systems too.
2: Well, mm. oh, And social sevens can look like twos and nines because they're far more giving and selfless and idealistic. And so you can see why that would easily get confused as well.
0: Here's a question. Would you say SP is kind of tied to se in a sense like that as sp knows about the state of the body when you when you say about planning stuff sp is close to the physical body in some way or another or the physical experience would you kind of agree with that i mean sp is cool in
2: some way self-preservation could be about that because it is a little more about the body but i would also say the body types eight nines and ones are more attuned to what's happening in the body if you're thinking of it in that context um
0: or maybe just sort of just nibbling away on different portions that might be part of some bigger cake or may not connect. I find, I mean, I'm ENTP, so SE is not high in my stack, but I find I actually very much enjoy being in sync or being aware of my physical surrounding in certain contexts. For example, like dancing. I mean, you dance yourself, Samantha, but... I you mentioned a couple of dances. did you say so what was your primary C- dance or the
2: rock was the main partner dance
0: could you yeah. i've heard of it so rock can you classify it is it sort of think, think a,
2: of it as west coast swing with less footwork
0: okay okay oh well, yeah that's a very there those kind of dances are very appealing because you're in the moment i mean there's an exchange component which i find it's mm-hmm. also in salsa and all these 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 non-ballroom formalized yeah. dances but it, it's a great place to be. I enjoy SE very much in this select context. Same with playing table tennis. Like, uh, if you're at a certain level, I don't care so much about the points, but there's something about experiencing my movement, iteratively refining, being aware of how do I hit that thing. There's a pleasure that that I don't know if it's normally contributed to being an ENTP. It's almost something like that I would expect an, an SE dom to have, but it's accessible to me in select in select areas which either have to do with mastery. Let's say how you how do you hit a ball? Where do you hit it? And of course the dancing part because you an SX loves dancing because you have an exchange with a stranger. It's like an instant, it's a three minute affair with somebody that might not be your type. But in that moment, I find that that part really tough. Say again.
2: I find the um being with someone in that space really challenging, and I've had to learn to have different boundaries around dancing with some with a partner in that way so I had to learn to dance with my eyes closed you know learning to follow was extremely challenging for me so I just closed my eyes
0: try and learning that was, to lead that's even harder yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I'm never gonna learn to lead I made I was like no we're never gonna learn to lead we're gonna just learn to follow I think that's a bigger challenge but yeah because for me I do I appreciate the physical flow and being in that space but when I first started dancing, I wanted to be creative all over the place. I wanted to iterate and play before I knew the basics. So I had to rein myself in, mm-hmm. learn the foundations, rein my creativity, close my eyes so I could learn to follow and trust someone before I could then add in the play with it. And so for me, it was actually I had to make it more of an SI, you know, type experience, like let, let's just do a little repetition. Let's, you know, the S-I-S-E piece before I could enjoy it, bring the NA into it in a way.
0: I find that interesting because I agree with you. A- and also my experience is different because I'm SX. It, I also find, I mean, I'm, I'm not the best uh, motory learner. I literally have to break it down. It takes me a long time to learn something, but then I know it really well and I can teach it. I can say, okay, my weight is here, my weight is there. So I had to overcome this, but it was more, it was not out of fear of engaging. It's literally, I have clumps, of clay as my hands, how am I going to learn how to write on it or or paint? So I had to get, I had to grow these fingers out of clumps of clay, which became knowing all these little things almost in a methodical way. And then all of a sudden, then they can suddenly connect and you can improvise and that's when the joy begins but i think for you there was a different experience because it was also sp safety somebody is in my space i have to relate to them i want to so there was this tornness between wanting to connect but also being safe and it's a very different experience yet there's some overlap i find that fascinating based on sp versus sx
2: and did you do competitions
0: uh, i didn't i didn't go to the competition okay. level. i mean I you might be it
2: it was awful my social i didn't know it at the time but my social press absolutely hated it i had to stop competing after a while like this is torture you are torturing yourself let's just do the fun stuff
0: <laughs> i was two sx because i enjoy the exchange i don't have yeah. to win something but yeah. i mean it was just i didn't have the time but it can be obsessive i don't know but you most salter dancers i know when they start they either stop or they go three four five times a week they yeah, have like done, I, hour.
2: I did the five times a week
0: thing. Yeah, But five for me, it's the social thing. It's like, I don't care about points. I don't want to drive somewhere. I want to know everybody. And it's, it's. I mean, you probably relate now. It's something that happens in that magic space where you have no relationship to that person. They might even be, there are certain physical types you enjoy or you would normally, you might really enjoy dancing with somebody that you would, in another context, not pursue or in a date sense or whatever. It's almost, it's a different world. And it lives for the duration of the song. And then you look forward to it next time. But it's it lives in its own world and it has its own rules that are different from what you do otherwise socializing.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely it. relate to it a little bit differently um, because there was, to me, yeah, so much happened in that space between two people, a lot of stuff that I wasn't, uncomfo- well, wasn't very comfortable with, you know, and knowing how to manage the social interaction one-on-one. So I'd much rather you know, have an intense conversation with someone where I know where our boundaries are, then, you know, I have to go into a space of complete trust and follow and not be in control. And I'm like, you want me to not, what? <laughs> That's a lot for me to process.
0: You said something interesting because I would associate ENTP with constantly questioning and selectively challenging, sometimes violating, but for a split seconds, boundaries to map another person. I thought that was hardcore ENTP, but for an an SP, it may not be. It's more in my nature, but it may not be Mm. in yours as much.
2: Yeah, that's something about ENTPs that often doesn't resonate with me. For me, it's more sensing the vibe of someone or the experience. I don't tend – I'm not very good at actually getting to know people. I think this might be maybe self-preservation seven because we're a little more more self-interested, we're more focused on ourselves – and it's, you know, the the ego state is more how can this person help me meet my needs in some way? And so it can take me a very long time to get to know someone. And it happens, but it can take years. And it's not a quick process. You know, either we'll talk about the superficial stuff or we'll talk about things that are interesting or all the concepts, but it'll take me a while to really get to know a person in a way that sticks. You know, we talked about finding my values. It can take me just as long to figure out someone else as it took me to figure out my own. What was most important to me? I find that it just doesn't come naturally for me.
0: That is very interesting and really points to the SXS because for me it's a total opposite. Most of my friends, and this is this is not just dating, this guy guy friends. I I meet them. I want have this ex- intensive. We talk, we talk, we talk all night, and mm-hmm. then we might be friends for life. This is how my close friends, guy friends, lady friends. I and I seek that experience, whereas for you it's the last thing you want. So mm. it's. I find that interesting.
2: takes a lot more practice, intentional it's,
1: practice. Mm. Fascinating. And so sevens have a stereotype of seeking out good times. And so oftentimes they kind of like to seek out friends with shared interests. But I was wondering, is that true? Is that not? Like, it's almost like having friends that can come along with their shenanigans. What are your thoughts? I'd say so. Yeah. But
2: I mean, I went mountain biking yesterday. And, I, you know, a friend, I wouldn't have gone unless a friend and I were going together, most likely. I have a fr- I'm have very creative. I paint and do a lot of craft stuff. And I have a friend who's also interested in that. So we can do those activities together. We can go travelling together. So I'm equally happy doing some things completely alone. And I sometimes prefer to do them alone. I don't know if you've had this experience, Boris, but um, you can go to the movies. And if I've suggested the movie to someone and they come along, I spend more time being aware of, how they respond to the movie and whether they like it or dislike and whether the choice I've made or the recommendation I've made is any good. Whereas if I just go by myself, I can completely enjoy or not enjoy the movie as it is. Like I can be more in the experience of it. Whereas when I go with someone or just watching at home, it's more of a sense of how do they feel about it? And, you know, I almost feel like that's the FE piece coming into play a little overworking itself about worrying about something it shouldn't be worrying about.
0: I would agree with that, probably to a slightly less intensity, but I agree with that because then it's like, oh, well, this is a shared experience. And somebody, I asked somebody, what do you want to watch? And I would like to watch something that they also enjoy. Ideally, it's not something that I hate. Um, whereas if I watch stuff for my own interest, it's it's a different experience. Both, I, I enjoy both, right? It's nice to watch something then with somebody. It's almost like ritual with some people, certain shows. You, you have to promise I'm going to watch that with you because – Hey, we saw the first episode together, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: I definitely have a friend that we watch all the sci-fi TV shows and movies together. And that way I know we're both going to like it for the most part because we were like, okay, we know we're in the same genre, so this is fine. Very cool.
1: The Sevens, they're they're known for, you know, getting people enthused and excited to get along and to do this thing, almost to get activity partners for some of them (laughs) to do things with. But yeah,
0: I wonder though. It's not that specific that I only seek out certain people with the same interests. It's more I look for a shared abstract mindset, which is open-minded, mm-hmm. uh, playful. Somebody doesn't have to enjoy salsa. Salsa is very compartmentalized. Actually, talking yeah. about the dancing, it's great, but it's also it lives only in its own world. It can be very one-dimensional. People that I enjoy dancing with, I would not go anywhere else with them because there is no connection. You realize. We have this S E connection, it's a flirt, and then I won't talk to you. I'm like, oh man, we're so different. But it's more abstract mindsets which tend to correlate to liking similar things. But I also like people that are very different, that expose me to something that I would have never done before. Like I remember Mm -hmm. University was one guy, we were strange friends. I was well, I was always me, but he was like a a a metalhead punk kind of guy, very (laughs) clever. But Take me to some punk place. Like and it was kind of an interesting experience to float in this world. Obviously, I didn't fit in. I have weird hair, but I, I was the outsider. And or one, one African American friend of mine who I met through we were both in physics, he really introduced me. It was it was an almost African American group. I was like the weird white guy that didn't fit. But I liked dancing. So it was like house, and I was very welcome. It was just it was a great experience to, to so similarity mostly open-minded mindset, but please also be divergent because you can show me something new Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have known about.
1: Yeah. And so thank you for coming out. I really appreciate hearing about the ENTP and Enneagram 7 experience. It's nice to see the contrast in the subtypes between you both and how the SP versus SX Mm. really makes a difference. I was not aware of how dramatic the difference was until I talked to you both. And so that was like the mind blowing experience.
0: (laughs) For for me too. It was really, Samantha, you provide a really new experience. Like, wow, it's within that seven commonality live totally different motivation that might look the same, but we are different creatures and thank God, otherwise (laughs) life would be boring. Right. (laughs)
2: absolutely but But it's not often that we get these opportunities to have this almost a more of a direct contrast you know when you when you know certain things to be true like okay so let's what's the one tiny thing we're variating and what is that how does that show up what does that look like
1: yeah it was really really cool and so yeah samantha thanks for coming out she does really cool youtube channel work with trudy and She is extremely knowledgeable in the Enneagram too. And so I really like that expertise that you brought to the panel. (laughs) You are a wealth of knowledge. Everything that you've consumed has made your mind into a solid piece of gold. And so you're just able to transmute that gold into our conversation. So it's been extremely fruitful and you really enriched us with the gold within your mind. And so thank you.
0: Don't transmute the gold. Once it's gold, keep it. Don't transmute it again. <laughs> radioactive isotope. Stop at the goal.
1: Boris's business advice.
0: <laughs> no, that was physics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do physics. I think I love. No, I do. Six it's six my life Like that. No, physics is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the sexual instinct too enjoys the confrontational banter sometimes a little bit more too. Like you know how Boris always like interjects with these really cheeky kind of jokes but they're kind of like pushing the edge a little bit and they cause tension actually so maybe it's sx tension too on top yeah of and i
0: want you to, to qualify so man i mean i was maybe making judgment i assume i didn't offend you there was no intention no, in no, any no, way no. or form because <laughs> i thought I, I can be free reign but it's it's delivered actually it is I, I deliberately i enjoy a certain type of tension but i read the other person like if i if i hit f i am like okay pff, i'm done <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not my being you anymore i just uh, go over there maybe
2: <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because there are times when i also say things i'm like oh that might have been more painful than i realized you know if i'm if I've landed an Enneagram truth on someone, I'm like, oops, I forget sometimes that hurts people. Um, but, yeah, I tend to, I can do conflict and I can do debating, but often I would rather not. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, unless the debate is in sort of a construct where it is safe or permissible to debate, um, I may not go there.
0: And I'd, even the word debate, I mean, I wasn't into debating in university or high school. I like the word banter. Banter is my favorite thing where you read the other person, then you find something where you can have fun jousting at each other and getting to know each other. But Mm. hardcore arguments, because I think there's a stereotype about ENTBs wanting to argue for the sake of arguing. It's no, we argue because either we believe and we want to communicate something or we want to hone our skills with somebody that is of equal mindset or we want to engage and get to know and play Mm. So I don't think there's any, I got to be right. It's like, no, I I love being proved wrong. If, if we have an exchange, and let's say if you convince me of astrology, I'll be like, wow, I just learned something. <laughs> I'll make your life hard, but I am actually looking to be defeated, right? It's not about winning. It's
1: mm.
0: teach me something new. I will bow like, wow.
2: Whereas I think I still have a little more of a focus on harmony in some form. And so that can undermine that harmony in some way. So it's I'm I'm quite sensitive to creating tension, and then I feel the need to ease that tension.
0: Context-dependent, depending. I mean, I'm trying to read the other person. Of course. Uh, yeah. Because, again, some people are just, okay. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to uh, tread on anything there, but <laughs> mm. hard, some are hard to read, like choice. <laughs> it's so much of he
1: Just placating all the way. And so thanks Boris <laughs> for being so playful. You always make my panels so much fun. You're entertainment in a person, and so your woody comebacks and your a billion tangents and your a thousand banter points.
0: <laughs> I'm a serious <laughs> physics guy, okay, in a work context. don't don't <laughs> don't rock my image. They're gonna laugh at me. My colleagues see it. You've gotta be careful. Oh. Nice meeting you, Samantha, and thank (laughs) you, Joyce, as always. It is always fun.
1: Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you all in the next episode. Take care.
0: Bye-bye. Oops, where's my hand? You can't see it. Okay. (laughs)